This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Rahab is um, such a fascinating story in the Bible for so many different reasons that we're going to get into today. And many times we look at Rahab and see this unlikely hero stepping out and taking a step of faith and God using her in a major way. And if we just stop and just look at Rahab, we'll be missing a greater point of the story. We'll be missing the greater point of this passage. So while Rahab does serve as a great example of faith, we want to take a step back and look at the God behind the scenes in this passage. We want to focus on what God is doing and who he is, and understanding that will give you a stronger resolve and strength and encouragement for your journey. And we can move forward in our journey, move forward in our journey simply because of who God is. And we're going to look at who God is in three different aspects in this passage today. First, we're going to look at God as our refuge. God is a refuge. Now, by way of review, in Joshua chapter 1, we had God commissioning Joshua to take over the Israelite, not take over, but take command as leader of the Israelites after Moses' death. And then God gives Joshua his promise that he's going to give the people the land. And God reassures Joshua that he is going to be with him. And God tells Joshua to be strong and courageous and follow my commands. Immediately afterwards, Joshua takes action and mobilizes the Israelites to go into the land of Canaan. He tells the people, reassures them that God is going to give us this land. Let's go in and take it. And so we saw last week the Israelites coming together in unity and preparing to take the land of Canaan. And today, as the Israelites are preparing to move into the land of Canaan, Joshua, being the good and wise leader that he is, he sends in two spies into Jericho. And now these spies, they come into Jericho. They're they're there to check out the land. And a little bit of info on Jericho we need to know um, to realize the significance is that it was just off the western bank of the Jordan River. And so the Israelites would need to cross the Jordan, and for them to take all of the land of Canaan, they would need to take the city of Jericho. It was considered a gateway into the land of Canaan. And Jericho had these tall walls that fortified the city, and it was densely populated. It would not be an easy win for the um, Israelites. Jericho was also known for their pagan idol worship. Jericho, the name itself, is derived from the characters for moon, and historians believe that the Jericho was known for their worship of the moon god. And so these two spies sent by Joshua go into the city of Jericho, and they enter into the house of a prostitute named Rahab. Now, when you look closer at the Hebrew wording, there's no insinuation or hint that these two spies are there to partake of her services. But um, most likely, historians guess that Rahab, it was common for a woman like her to run a tavern or an inn, a hotel. So people who are traveling through the land would stay there, get lodging, get a fresh hot meal, and if they so desired, her services as well. 
but this is a perfect place for these two spies to come in undetected and spy out the land and talk with other travelers just to come in and out. But immediately in verse 2, what do we see? These two wonderful spies, they are caught. They are found out already. In fact, the king knows exactly where they are. It says the king sent two spies to Rahab's house to fish them out. The spies get there, and to our surprise, an unlikely unlikely turn of events, Rahab diverts these spies in a wild goose chase outside the city. And then verse 7, it finishes off saying that the walls of Jericho are closed. So at this point in the story, we need to be asking ourselves a couple questions. What would compel this woman, Rahab, to betray her king, to betray her people for these strangers, for these Israelite spies? Furthermore, why would she risk her own life and even the life of her family for these Israelite spies? And what about these spies? They're still left in the city. They're stuck. They, they say the walls are closed, the doors are closed, and now they're stuck in the city behind enemy lines. And the writer intentionally leads off, off in verse 7 with the suspense to highlight the words that are coming next in verses 9, 10, and 11. Because 9, 10, and 11 is basically the most critical part of today's passage, and it's Rahab's confession. Let's look down at verses 8 to 11. I'll read that for us. Before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt and that you did... And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sihon and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted, and there was no spirit left in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. This is Rahab's confession of faith. This Canaanite woman who was a prostitute confesses that God is a sovereign God over the world. She hears stories of how God saved his people, how God brought them out of Egypt and helped them cross the Red Sea. She talked about his might and power as he gave Israel victory over Sion and Og. And in a great statement of faith, Rahab announces that Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, is the one and true God of the heavens above and the earth beneath. Who else could have put this confession into this woman's mouth except for God? But it doesn't end there. We're going to see what she does after this confession because that's what really matters. Verse 12, let's look down. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you will save alive my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters, and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So Rahab recognizes God's sovereign power, that he's the one true God. She sees the impending destruction that's about to come onto the city of Jericho, And she turns to God in mercy and seeks refuge in God. 
She makes this profession, and then she seeks God for refuge. And this is a picture of what saving faith is like. We hear the stories of how God saved us through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we are aware of the judgment that is coming on that final day. And the Christian runs and seeks refuge in Christ for salvation. And from this we learn that genuine faith presses on to take refuge in the gospel. Genuine faith presses on to take refuge in the gospel. A commentator puts it like this. Genuine faith never rests content with being convinced of the reality of God, but presses on to take refuge in God. Now, in your journey, in your life, you're going to be attacked with lies from all sides. When you struggle with temptation and you fall into sin, there's going to be lies that come into your mind that tell you that you are condemned, that you are unlovable. And for the Christian, what you do there is you seek refuge in the gospel. You run to Christ and you remind yourself that you are completely forgiven because of what Christ has done for you, that you are fully loved by him. When the world lies to you and tells you that you are not valuable, that your worth is measured by your possessions, your career, your relationships, whatever it is you hold valuable, when these lies come into your mind, Christian, you run and seek refuge in Christ, in the gospel. And you tell yourself, no, my worth is not found in what I've done or what I have, but it's my worth is found in God, that I'm completely loved and accepted by Christ. When you're facing sufferings or trials, lies will tell you that there's no hope, that there's no point in moving forward, there's no use in trying. Christian, take refuge in the gospel, that your hope, that your ultimate hope is in Christ. And no matter what evil or challenge befalls you, you are eternally secure in the hands of God, and nothing can separate you from his love. The Christian life is continually and constantly taking refuge in the gospel. We see Rahab turning to God, taking refuge in him for salvation, and so do we in our lives. And in our journey, it's, it's a difficult, treacherous path. You know, our natural response to all the difficulties we face is to find refuge in something. If we don't find refuge in God, we're going to try to find refuge in something else whether it's our relationships, and you'll quickly find out that people let you down, that you won't find true refuge in the people around you. Some of us seek refuge in money, but as you earn more of it and you get more of it, you realize that there's no true rest no matter how big your bank account gets. Careers can be lost. Possessions will rot. Our true and only refuge is in Jesus Christ. So seek refuge in the saving work of Christ. And as we continue on in our story, we see that now Rahab protected these spies. The spies are trapped in the city, and Rahab makes this amazing profession of faith and then seeks refuge in God. And in 14, these spies promise that they will keep their oath to save Rahab. And let's look down and pick up in the rest of the chapter that we were, uh, did not read in the beginning. And make sure to keep your apps open, your fingers in the Bible, because we're going to keep referring back to it. So 15 and 16, then she let them down by a rope through the window. 
for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward, you may go your way. Now, Jericho was fortified by these great walls, and built into these walls were places, were homes, and on top of the walls, people lived there as well. And it was common for people like Rahab to live on the outskirts of town, people who are of lower class, or people who are not as wealthy. And so she is living in this room that's built into the wall, but it's the ideal place for these spies to escape. And so she lets them down through the window in verse 15. And then verse 16, she's speaking to them about how to go back home. Now, you might think that's very strange, right? Like, why would you let them down and then start yelling to them from the top? I mean, these spies were not good, but they weren't that bad, right? Imagine letting, you know, someone leaving your house and you say, oh, goodbye, we'll see you next time. They take the elevator down and you scream from the fifth floor, to get to the subway, you got to go left and right. It's not very secretive. It's not exactly what happened either. If we look at the Greek or the Hebrew word, it's in a tense where it, it actually says, better translated, that she had said to them. So this conversation that comes up in the next following verses are conversations she had before she let the spies down. And we're going to continue reading uh, what they said to each other in verse 17. So let's look down to verse 17 to 22. Then the men said to her, We will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you have made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, you shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother, your brothers and, and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out of the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who is with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be, shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you have made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. Then she sent them away, and they departed. As she tied the scarlet cord in the window, they departed and went into the hills and remained there three days until the pursuers returned. And the pursuers searched all along the way and found nothing. So Rahab and the spies, they confirm their oath to each other. And the spies give Rahab this instruction to hang the scarlet cord from her room. And when the Israelites come to bring destruction upon the city, she will be saved. And this echoes what happened to the Israelites back in Exodus. When the Israelites were under the slavery and oppression of the Egyptians, God had told them to take the blood of the lamb and mark the doorposts and bring their family into the house. And this would be a sign that they would be saved. And here today, Rahab puts a similar sign out of her house to save her family. In Exodus we have an obedient Israelite family being saved. And here in Joshua, we have an obedient non-Israelite being saved, showing that salvation is available to all people. And as we continue on in verse 23 and 24 at the end of this chapter, it's going to bring us to our next point that we want to focus on. And it's that God is faithful. God is faithful. First, we see that God is our refuge. And now we're going to look at how God is faithful. So look down in verse 23 and 24, and it reads, 
Then the two men returned. They, t- they came down from the hills and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun. And they told him all that happened to them. And they said to Joshua, Truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. So we look back on this entire chapter and see what happened to these spies. And we ask ourselves, did these spies have a successful mission? If we look at what happened, by all accounts, you would say, no. They go into the land. They're supposed to be there in secret. They get caught right away. They barely make it out of the city, but they make it out by the skin of their teeth with the help of Rahab, who they could not and did not anticipate. And now they come back with this report of their mission. And the report, did they go to Joshua and say, hey, they got weapon storehouses here, here, and here. We better attack those first. They got uh, strongholds here. They got outposts over here, five guards over at this tower. We want to make sure we take those out. They got trenches and exits here, here, here in the city. This is what we need to do to go forward and take Jericho. No, that was not their report, but rather they reported to Joshua and the people of God, truly, the Lord has given all the land into our hands. And also all the inhabitants of the land melt away because of us. What a report. It is basically a report that God will be faithful to give his people the land. They didn't need a special uh, mission or report, but what the Israelites needed was encouragement that God is faithful to keep his promises. So then what was the purpose of the mission? Shouldn't the people have been confident in God's promises anyways? After all, God spoke directly to Joshua and said, I'm going to give you the land. That should have been enough. And Joshua told the people, hey, God is going to give us the land. Let's go in. And that promise given to them should have been enough. But God, in his love for his people and to encourage them, he gave them this extra encouragement from, with this testimony from this prostitute's mouth in Jericho. And that's how God works in our lives as well. Because God's words, it's given to us in Scripture. His promises are clear and they're given to us. But a lot of the time, we find ourselves stumbling to take a hold of them, to truly put our trust in them, to rest in God's promises. And so what God does is he comes down into our lives and with his provisions and providences, he confirms his promises given to us. He comes down and works in our lives to encourage us and remind us of the promises he's given us. You know, when you're faced with a big transition in life, all of a sudden you start worrying and getting anxious and uncertain about the future, and that begins to overshadow God's promises for you. Or if you're in the middle of a huge trial, going through some suffering, you know in your mind that God's promises are true, but for some reason you have a hard time resting and taking, getting hope from them. So God graciously enters into your life with his provisions and his providences to assure you that he is faithful to his promises. God guided these spies into Jericho, gave them the testimony of Rahab to encourage the Israelites, yes, I am going to give you the land. You know, uh, there was a time uh, three years ago 
And my younger brother, um, Shane, he grew very ill. He got very sick. Uh, it was back in 2019 when my family, uh, they were all living out here in Korea. He was taking some medication, and um, he suffered a very rare side effect from the drug, and it caused a very rare life-threatening skin disease called toxic epidermal necrolysis. And basically what it is, is you have a large surface area of your skin, it blisters and, and it falls off, and it's equivalent to like a second-degree burn. And if any of you are good with bio and human anatomy, your skin is an organ, and its job is to protect all the other organs in your body. So when you lose your skin, a lot of the different organs in your body start to fail. And so with my brother, he couldn't breathe on his own, and lungs start, his lungs start to fill with blood. So he was on a respirator for months. His kidneys failed completely, and so he was on a 24-7 dialysis machine for months. He was fighting a fever of 40 degrees Celsius for months. He's fought off pneumonia several times. And being in bed for so long, he had life-threatening bed sores, and which that needed special treatment and care. And for 10 months, he stayed in the ICU fighting for his life. I think he set the record for the longest stay in an ICU at Asan Hospital, just south of the river. And he was just going through horrific pain. And we, uh, as his family, we were not going through an easy time as well. It's not that he got sick and then he just slowly, gradually got better and better over 10 months, but it was that he got sick and he very painfully started to get better, but along the way, life-threatening issues came up. And so for 10 months, our family didn't know whether my brother, their son, was going to survive. And it was just life um, Changing, it was a life-changing incident for us. And we were just physically, emotionally, and spiritually exhausted. We practically lived at the hospital, and all our hearts and prayers were towards our brother. And so there were many nights during this time, during these long 10 months, where our faith was failing and our faith was wavering. It was not easy. There were nights where we were wondering how we would go on. Nights where we thought we just couldn't face another day. We didn't have the strength. We just didn't have it in us. It felt like a long, dark tunnel where there was no light in sight. But although our faith was wavering, although our faith was weak, in this difficult trial, God was faithful to us. And what God would do is he would stoop down into our lives with his providences and provisions to remind us, to encourage us, and assure us that his promises are true and that he is faithful to keep them. Countless stories of God's providence during this time. We had people visit from all over the country, strangers, people from church, friends, family, praying for us, financially helping us during this time just encouraging us through this difficult, difficult journey. We had friends who had staff and doctors that worked at Asan who would give us a little bit of favor and help us with all the administrative stuff that would give a little bit of special care to my brother. The nurses in the ICU unit, you know, God bless them. They, they led us into his, his unit even though visiting hours were over because they saw how much pain my mother was in to give us those few extra hours to be with him in the night because we didn't know how much time he really had. 
so many provisions and providences given to us by God to remind us that his promises are true and that he is faithful. When our faith was weak, God was faithful to us. And reminded us that he is always with us, always on our side, no matter what we face. Reminded us that we can find comfort and peace in him no matter the disaster or the suffering that's in front of us. Reminded us that his grace is sufficient even in our weakness. And God is assuring you that his promises to you are true through the providences and the provisions he gives to you in your life. You may be embarking on a new phase in your life. You may be in the middle of a storm, a tragic accident. Maybe God brought you out to Korea and you're wondering, what am I doing here? How am I supposed to continue? What am I supposed to do with my life? Be encouraged and sure that God's promises are faithful to you. But also look, look at the way that he's brought you to your point in life right now. Begin to recognize the way he's provided for you, the way he's led you and guides you. And let that reassure you of his promises for you. Look at the people he's placed in your life that has helped you and encouraged you. This is God's gift to you to reassure you that he is always with you and he's always going to be faithful to you. We got to learn to recognize how God is moving and working around us. Many times in the midst of our trials, we get clouded by the things that have gone wrong, with the things that are not the way that they're supposed to be, the things that are not the way we want them to be, the things that are broken. But rather than setting our mind on these things, set your mind on how God is working in your life. Yes, God's words should be enough. God's promises should be enough to help you carry on. But God is loving and gracious, and he knows that sometimes it isn't because of our weakness. And that's when he comes down and provides for you. That's when he comes down and works in your life to lead you and guide you, to carry you on through this journey. How is God speaking to you through your, how is God speaking to you through your life right now? What has he provided with you? Who has he placed around you? How is he leading you? They're all meant to encourage you in your walk of faith. And finally, we want to look at uh, our last point in today's scripture is that God is full of grace. God is our refuge. We seek refuge in him day after day. We see that God is faithful to keep his promises to us. And finally, we look at God being full of grace. And for this last point, we want to take a step back from these 24 verses that we read and ask ourselves the question, why is this particular odd story of this unlikely woman in the Bible in this, cha- in this place in Joshua right now? Because if you look at the narrative of Joshua, it makes more sense that it goes from chapter 1, Israel receiving their promises, mobilizing, and then jumping to chapter 3, they go to, Jordan, they go to cross the Jordan River. But the writer intentionally places this story of Rahab in the Bible in this particular place for a reason, and it's to show us the beautiful picture of God's grace. Think a moment about who this woman is, this woman Rahab. She is ethnically and socially outside of Israel. Her occupation would be considered morally unacceptable. She was an idol worshiper. 
who didn't grow up in church or have Sunday school or tithe or was on the serving team. It was a woman who was broken and hurt and had no hope in her life. But this woman heard the stories of God saving his people. This woman came to the realization that God is the one true God, and she threw herself at his mercy, and in his grace, God received her into his family. Rahab and her family, because of what she did for these spies, would join the people of Israel, and she would enjoy the covenant blessings that God had for his people. But it doesn't end there with Rahab. She was not only brought into Israel, she was brought into God's spiritual family as well. Salvation and eternal life was hers because of her faith. And her story doesn't end in the New Old Testament. It continues on into the New Testament. We look at Matthew 1. The genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the one who created and sustains all things. In his family line, there are all but four women mentioned. And one of those four women is Rahab, a Canaanite prostitute. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace, that those who turn to him, he receives and brings into their family. In Hebrews 11, known as the book of heroes of faith, it goes through all the main, the, the heavy hitters of Israelites' history, right? It tells us how Noah stepped out in faith. Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Joshua, Samson, King David himself, and among this great list of heroes of faith, Rahab is mentioned in that as well. Hebrews 11.31 says, By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. This woman, whether she chose to become a prostitute or not, is irrelevant. If you live this life, you are hurt, you are abused. You live a very dark life where there's very little hope. She was treated as a commodity. And here, she's included in this great story of redemption. She's included in the lineage of Jesus' family. It's a beautiful picture of God's grace that no matter your history, what you've done, your background, your ethnicity, your job, whatever it is, it does not matter. All are welcome into God's family. God's grace is extended to those who turn to him in faith. And for us Christians, it's not only his saving grace that brought us into his family, it's his grace that will continue to sustain us on our journey. And it's his grace that will bring us into complete restoration on that final day. In our lives, we rely and we depend on God's grace, which he gives to us lovingly without ceasing. Let's pray. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.